Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by irishillustrated.com. Pete Sampson with Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley. About 48 hours after Temple at this point. It's a little bit of a blur. We've got four games to go. Um, I think we all were, I don't know, un- overwhelmed by Temple or underestimated. Underestimated, yeah. I, I don't know how to view, I guess, my perspective on Temple coming out of the game other than to say that they were a lot better than I thought. And in a rare instance, I felt like you kind of came away impressed with both teams, which usually I think we kind of come out of these games as a zero-sum game. Somebody played well, some pl- somebody played didn't. Uh, Notre Dame and Temple played well. Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I was um, – more impressed with Temple than I thought because I, I was impressed with Temple with the, with two weeks of film, but I, I didn't think that they would be able to execute it as well as they normally do when they play Notre Dame. And the fact of the matter is, man, that defense, and I, and I saw it against East Carolina, they swarmed to the football, and they are as good at, uh, at getting off blocks, I, I think, as any team that I've seen this year. And obviously some of the, the, the bigger, stronger four- and five-star teams can, can do that really well, but... I thought Temple's defense was great. Notre Dame didn't take advantage of some opportunities, and thus you had a game that went down to the wire. Yeah, we said if you helped them a little bit, they're going to be in it. Notre Dame helped them a little bit, but not converting in the red zone. And Temple, Temple was better than I thought they would be defensively against Notre Dame. I, I thought Notre Dame would settle in and handle them. There was no handling of them up front at all. To get back to your point, Pete, about Notre Dame, yes, you do have to be impressed with Notre Dame because the two times that they fell behind, they scored less mm-hmm. than two minutes later. And and that's a that's a team with a sense of urgency. They knew their season was on the line, uh, and they did exactly what they had to do to to stay in the playoff race. Yeah, I mean, and look, it, Temple had the same response most times to that game. I mean, when they fell behind, they came back, and I was I was very impressed with sort of I guess what Matt Rule has built there. And it seems you know if he stays there, that should be a consistent eight win team. I mean, they should be one of the better teams in the American Athletic Conference, and. I think Notre Dame comes away, I mean, most importantly, still in the playoff line. Um, I think only slightly less important than that is an awareness from the coaching staff that, man, we have to be a lot better than this if we're going to stay in the playoff hunt. And I think a lot of times we come out of these games where Notre Dame escapes and you'll get like a defiant, well, a win is a win, and like I don't care if it's by 100 points or one point. Notre Dame was a lot more, I guess, self-aware, at least from the coaching staff, about, yeah, that was really good, but, um, whereas I think the players, being 21 years old, are more like, who cares? It was great. Um, we're going to celebrate this. Uh, but That's was, good, though, too. There, you there need was a little a lot that, to, I mean. There was a lot to unwind from from Saturday night. I mean, the, we, let's just start with the red zone offense. That was, uh, it's been a consistent theme, and we got a question about this for segment two. Uh, how to fix that, how to make it more efficient. Last year, they were quite good in the red zone offense. It was just yeah. the most hard yeah. for the Touchdowns season. Touchdowns were very good. Um, this year, they've sort of regressed back to struggling to score touchdowns in the red zone offense. So what's the fix? 
Well, you, you need better blocking from your tight ends. It was probably Nick Wisher's worst game as a blocker. And, again, I think that goes back to Temple getting off blocks. And, and, and I, you know, you mentioned Matt Rule, and certainly he's the architect of all this. And he really has kind of followed up on what Al Golden and Steve Adazio, you know, started with the physicality of the Temple program. But I, I, I think we'd be remiss if you didn't say Phil Snow's name because yeah. it's his defense. And they're undersized at end, and they use that to their advantage. Um, I, I still love Matt Ioannidis, my uh, uh, captain's corner with Alan Pinkett. He said that's their – Matikavich is good. There's no doubt about that. But Ioannidis is, is their best pro prospect on defense. That's a compliment because Matikavich is going to start in the NFL. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's like – I mentioned this on the last podcast. Temple sort of reminded me of a poor man's 2012 Notre Dame. Well, I mean, they had Louis Nixon, Stefan Tuitt, who made Manti Teo look really, really good and allowed him to look really, really good. I think – Matakevich, who's making tackles on special teams, which is just <laughs> insane to me. On C.J. Sanders, who probably outweighs by 100 pounds. Um, he was really impressive. I mean, uh, that defense brought it for four quarters. And I think maybe one of the things that impressed me about Temple most is, like, they didn't break. Like, I think we all thought of, at some point Temple was going to be like, yes. all right, we just don't have it. And that, that point never happened. No, I mean, they, they couldn't. You couldn't have taken a later lead. Really. No, yeah, that's and it's going to sound like we're giving Temple too much credit, but remember, Temple stopped Notre Dame's offense. Notre Dame's defense played great. They should play great against Temple's offense. They did a great Sheldon Sheldon Day. Did I say Notre Dame's offense played great? Notre Dame's defense up front. Sheldon Day and Isaac Rochelle dominated the game. We figured they could. They did. Twenty-two tackles within two yards of scrimmage for the defense. But Temple's offense isn't Notre Dame's offense, so that's why I think we all came way impressed with Temple's defense. That's a Really good offense that you went toe to toe with, and did your job and for, throw for in sixty minutes. I mean, Romeo Aquara, one of his yeah, better games, and, and Daniel Cage right from the outset makes a big big stop to start the game. He's playing better. Your the timing of your story, Pete, the big sexy early big in the week was was <laughs> was, uh, <laughs> was good. I mean, Notre Dame's defensive line did a great job, and you know when Kyle Fred, when their center went out, that was that their I think that was their first series, maybe their second series that. The fact that he was able to come back in and play, that was huge because if Temple has to play the whole game, they still they still ended up with less than 300 yards total offense, but that was huge for Temple that he was able to come back and play. Yeah, so, I mean, Notre Dame overall, they, they stay in the playoff hunt. Just to put a finer point on the, the red zone touchdown percentage, Notre Dame is 85th nationally right now at 57.5%. If you look below them, there is not a single serious playoff contender. Florida State is below them, but that that is it, and it... Pretty much, if you're Ohio State is 64th, I think we would all say they're having some offensive mm-hmm. issues that they may have ironed out now. But you have to score touchdowns in the red zone to be a good, serious playoff contender. And Notre Dame doesn't score enough of them right now. And to go back to what you said, they were good at scoring touchdowns last year. They were. There was only nine. You said contenders. That's what matters. Because the lower-level yeah. teams often look good in this because they don't play good defenses. There yeah. were only eight. It was maybe eight or nine contenders that were higher than Notre Dame in touchdown percentage last year. Alabama was one of them. They were eight, Notre Dame was a percentage point ahead of Wisconsin, You know, the holy grail for hand the ball off in the red zone and right. score. So they are much worse this year in that regard. Temple is now has now allowed just nine touchdowns in 25 red zone appearances. So they've done, you know, I think I have to admit, sometimes I get caught up. My big thing was, well, look at what Temple's, look at the bad offenses that Temple has done this against. That doesn't mean Temple's defense isn't legit. Right. They just held down some bad offenses to help build up their stats. But now they've held as down we one. see, yeah, they held, they held down a really, really good Notre Dame offense. Yeah, no question. So, I mean, playoff implications for Notre Dame. They're still in it, and the first rankings come out on Tuesday, so I think 
Maybe the Temple game will temper and enthusiasm for where Notre Dame should be ranked when the first rankings mm-hmm. came out. Because I think last year when they came out and, and Notre Dame was 10th, like there were you know, pitchforks and torches and, and all sorts of stuff because people thought Notre Dame should be better. I think tomorrow when the playoff rankings come out and Notre Dame is 9th or 10th, I think there's going to be much more acceptance of like, that's about right. Notre Dame is in the mix. They're not a top four team right now. They have to do a lot of things better to be a top four team. But I, I mean, I've said this for for March, April, May, whatever podcast we've done where we've talked about expectations. To me, a good season for Notre Dame is it's in November. You're in the playoff conversation. Right. It's November. Notre Dame's in the playoff. Two conversation. years in a row. Yeah, I mean, it's two years in a row. Now, and we know it all fell apart last year, but they have put themselves in this position two years in a row going yeah. into November. And I would amend it now just because we're already here. At this point, you got to be in the playoff conversation going to the Stanford game, right? I mean, yeah. if we're reevaluating, that's the key. Yeah. You can't yeah. lose now. I wasn't thinking yeah. like no. just November 1st. Right, it's right. November yeah, 21st. And uh, I mean, there's if they get through Pittsburgh, Wake Forest, and Boston College should not no. have the material right. to challenge Notre Dame. And then you, get, you, you set yourself up into... A big moment at Stanford, which is that's you're you're playing for that, you're building to that. Keep winning Stanford, keep going. (laughs) Takes a long time to build to that, but Notre Dame is a position that they should get there. One thing to keep in mind when the playoff selection committee, uh, when their rankings come out this week, in the AP poll, Iowa undefeated Iowa was behind Notre Dame, and one loss Florida was behind Notre Dame. Will the playoff selection co- committee look at It'll it be the very same curious way? To, yeah, Oklahoma State is in the same right. boat. Right. Um, didn't I? Don't think they played a power five team in their non conference. Now their their defense is they uh, have apparently it this week. that game it's this would week. take. Yeah, it's coming up is uh, they play TCU. TCU. This week. Yeah. Apparently they're well. I mean, Oklahoma State scored seventy. Yes. And Texas Tech scored. 55? Is that what it was? Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were down 17 nothing and came back to <laughs> by 17. Uh, yeah, and that, I mean, I guess another topic is the targeting thing on Elijah Shoemate. I I hate the targeting penalty. I hate the way that's enforced. I mean, if it was just a 15-yard penalty and a first down, I would be like, all right, you can roll with that. Uh, the ejection is, it's like a double jeopardy situation at that in, in, in that situation. I, I and there's no, there's no recourse for Notre Dame. Can you make it a? I know this is bizarre. Can you make it a 25 yard penalty? You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 there's got, there has to be some happy medium because you can sit out the drive, you can sit out the something ejecting a guy from the game for, and the next game and the next game because the halftime. I mean, there's, I, I can see maybe if you're called for targeting, you have to come out to the end of the series. That would be fair, right? It's overly punitive. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> I mean, and even the even the officials that review it then to determine whether it was what they're looking at it in slow motion, which does not give you an accurate indication of intent or anything like that. A lot of times, the the offensive player's head moves, and the defensive player's helmet is you know six inches away at that point yeah. I don't I don't know what he can what he can possibly do I mean shoemate's just trying to dislodge the football ironically you just asked about it we <laughs> talked about how yeah they're getting a lot better at this I think there's a I greater did. understanding yeah. Brian Kelly's well, a greater that, understanding of this right now one more had, had there been a I didn't when I asked that yeah. question I, I you know I'm going through the Rolodex of games had there had there there had not been any accusation of a targeting in any Notre Dame game up to that point, had there? No, I can't no, I don't think so. Yeah. No, I, re- I really don't. I mean, yeah, the two at That's one, why I brought it right, up yeah, Thursday. Right. Yeah, Ben Council won a few years ago, right. and that, that's really been it. I mean, it's, I remember... To it. Yeah, <laughs> to, to it's the one. Yeah. Um, this was not as bad as that one, because that was just... 
Well, we will be going back shoulder. to the scene of the crime. Two got targeted obviously. by, uh, <laughs> the, what's his the quarterback? By Tom, Savage, by Tom, yeah. Tom Savage's head, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, well, that's it for segment one on Irish Illustrated Insider. We've got a bunch of questions, as you might imagine, coming out of Temple, moving towards the playoffs. So we'll get into all that next on Irish Illustrated Insider. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider is our Burning Up the Boards segment. We start with O'Day, Smick Guy, 1928. Looking back at all the injuries and given the problems the Irish currently have in the red zone, what is the or who is the one player currently injured who you would like to have back? You know, I, I've kind of gone back and forth. I'm sort of in the Jerron Jones, Sean Crawford mm-hmm. mold there. Uh, but... This question sort of brings up a good point because I think Durham Smythe would make a pretty big difference in terms of just the functionality of Notre Dame's offense in the red zone. And I asked Brian Kelly about this on Sunday. Just like, you know, if Alize Jones takes two, three steps forward in November, how much different can your offense look? And he smartly did not put everything on a freshman tight end who hasn't played a whole lot. But I do think if Notre Dame had a more functional, well-rounded tight end, that the red zone offense would look a lot different. That they'd have a lot more options, and they could be able to create some more mismatches that right now they can't. I would still take Jones if I know the question isn't leaning to Duran Jones, but I would still take Duran Jones because it's not, you know he's. I know Rochelle and Day have been great. You know what happens when you put Duran Jones in between them? They're even better. So I would stick with Jones. I, I my second thought was also Crawford, but that's still theoretical. I mean, we were putting a freshman as the as the savior at nickel. I think he would have done a good job. This question's wanting us to say Folston. Because I think Folston would be the short yardage back for next year, but he would not be my choice because ProSize is great. Well, I'm going to say Folston. So the the question, O'Day Smith guy got me to say Folston. I mean, at least it's a at least it's a it's a guy that you know will slam it in there. um, You know, because he's a born and bred running back, and that's leads to one of the questions I kind of want to get into with Brian Kelly this week. That you know, obviously we we don't see practice, and and I'm sure that they've given Josh Adams. And Dexter Williams opportunities to show that they can be that guy. You know, I even wonder Josh Anderson if he, he he's a guy that would slam it in there for them. CJ Procise, it's not in his muscle memory, it's not in his DNA to do that. His strength is his patience and his vision, which becomes his weakness in short yardage situations. Yeah, yeah, it's not as it's not gonna change. I mean, CJ's not gonna be a good goal line runner this year. Which could is, be next year, but it's... Which is why he has to come back I, for a fifth year. I think Brian Kelly's answer to at least the Dexter Williams part would logically be, I don't want to put him in cold, first and goal of the three. That's not something he wants to trust, probably. That's yeah, a, you know, I, that's, I would, yeah, I would yeah. not overthink that. I mean, yeah. we, we sort of have joked from time to time about that South Florida goal line package where he had Steve Filer, Carlo Calabres, and Ethan Johnson with Jonas Gray, who hadn't really played at that point. Like, <laughs> let's not overthink yeah. and do something gimmicky down by the goal line. I think Folston would be better, but I mean, I I watch the goal line running plays. I just don't see where anyone is supposed yeah. to run there. Yeah. I mean, the offensive line against Temple was really getting thrown mm-hmm. back, uh, or at least not moving the pile forward. And if you can't do that, there's just not going to be a whole lot of, of places to run. But I, I agree, Notre Dame has a very sort of patient east-west running style to it, and they're like slamming up the middle. is just not something and they it, do well. And it makes sense because you have a big, strong offensive line, and you give them time to develop the block right. so that ProSize can, can use a strength. But <laughs> it's not a strength. It's not yeah. a strength for him right now. That And that's yeah. 
an, an opinion from the peanut yeah. gallery right yeah. there. This running game is for the dogs. All right. <laughs> Next up, Statman73. Since Kelly arrived at Notre Dame, the quarterbacks have consistently turned the ball over in the red zone. Fans initially blamed it on Reese, then Golson for what we thought were individual failings, but now Kaiser is also turning it over. Is Kelly calling plays that create a greater risk of turnovers? I think so. <laughs> I actually do. This look at they have twelve red zone tur- twelve red zone turnovers, ten are on the quarterbacks. I mean, most of those, most of those are interceptions. One's Golson not being able to run the read option and getting stepped on and throwing the ball in the air like he had never handed it off before. But another one is the reverse to Chris Brown. They have one running back fumble of these twelve. One running back fumble out of twelve turnovers in the red zone is Greg Bryant. There is a little bit of he's creating calling plays that create a greater risk of turnovers. Or a greater risk of not getting any yards on the play, and by that I mean fade routes, and, and then having like to throw, and again. then having to throw again. Yes, I don't think it's certainly not all on that. The quarterbacks can't have this many turnovers. Kaiser's three picks down there in seven games. I can't keep track. Right, seven games is too much, and Golson's seven last year is ridiculous. And Reese was also bad in that regard. All the way through, the Kelly Yard quarterbacks have been terrible in the red zone in terms of their efficiency, at least when you go back to compared to good quarterbacks like Clawson and Quinn. So I do think Kelly has a hand in it. Well, when you throw it in the red zone majority of the time, then that, that is going to lead to turmo- turnovers. Now, the second one was more on Fuller. And if you saw you know Temple yeah. score uh, against Joe Schmidt on the goal line, that guy did a great job of shielding Schmidt so he couldn't you know, knock the pass away, whereas Fuller didn't do a good job of that. But it's all, yeah, I mean, it with Golson, you knew that, that you know, many times it was him that was creating they're, the turnover. They're probably hamstrung more this year in that we just talked about how they can't run it in, so he kind of has to throw it too. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think there was an ESPN uh, stati- a statistician pointed this out that Notre Dame's 12 or is 11 or 12 red zone turnovers are the most in FBS. Um, so that, I mean that goes beyond the players yeah. at that point. That's when you're at the at the bottom of college football. That that's a little bit of everything. Everybody's at fault, right? Right. That's you know they can coach against. A lot of times of we're too. looking for the one individual whose fault it is. It's a it's a it's a collective fault. And in I think this you case. you made a great point by saying Fuller tried to come back for the ball and it was intercepted. That's not on the quarterback, but it's on the fact that it was pass play. Yeah, no but, question. You know he can't. That, that's how those balls right. get intercepted. And on the first interception, I know he was under duress, but Chris Brown was open. He just led him too far. He was open and could have caught a pass, but it, but he was pressured. And I he mean, was. That was. I mean, this is a good example of like what's a little bit on everybody. It was on Mike McGlinchey not getting out to block the rusher. It was on maybe Pro Size not making himself more available. It was on Kaiser not seeing him. You know, maybe it was on Brown for not seeing the pressure come. It was. It's. It's everything, and and that's that's how you end up with twelve red zone turnovers in the last two years. JC nineteen seventy eight. Why is Notre Dame not using Nick Wisher in the red zone when they had so much success with success with him during spring practices? It was mainly fall practices. I meant to ask Kelly this last Thursday. Actually, unfortunately, did not. Um, I would assume that he's just not. They they don't trust him to separate and make the play right now. He looked great to us, right? I mean, he really did. Well, we're putting a lot into a, a snapshot. Of, of what we got to see yeah, during the preseason. Yeah. He was torching Notre Dame safeties. Is that, should I go from there? Or is there a, uh, well, that theme has continued yeah. throughout the season. Yeah, I, you know, it's, they're, they're young at tight end, uh, and you know, the next man in has limits to how far you can push that. And I think Nick Wisher, we're talking about a guy who was fourth string mm-hmm. um, during August when everyone was healthy. So I, it's a lot to ask for him to for him to be the guy that comes in and solves this whole team-wide red zone issue yeah. 
an undersized redshirt freshman tight end is not the guy who's going to do it. I will say on this question, I just remembered back, though, as he said that, he was fourth string, but we actually asked Kelly about what is his, how did he carve that niche down there, and he said he's really tough. He knows how to carve out space. He had to play two full practices when Jones was hurt, right. yeah. Smythe was hurt, and you're not going to use Hounshall in that situation. So it's worth it, it, it's worth asking maybe, I understand why you don't just all of a sudden go to your redshirt freshman fourth string tight end, as you said, right. as your red zone cure. But I am surprised he doesn't hasn't really been targeted down there once this year. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that the tight ends are, this offense, they need the tight ends to block more than they need yeah. the tight ends to catch. And I think Luatua and Hounchel are adequate blockers, but in terms of the red zone and you know being on point with everything, it's very difficult. I mean, Luatua threw a really nice block on Medikevich on Kaiser's first touchdown run, uh, but he's not out there blocking at a second-round pick NFL level, which is sort of what Notre Dame is used to at that position. Irish McCarthy asks, what's the feeling inside the Goog about the Kelly Grimes incident? Is this a minor water under the bridge type of thing, or something? Is it something bigger in your opinion? I mean, it was highly awkward. Um, you know, I, I think people sort of view this as either he was totally right to do it because he's the head coaching and do what he wants, or he's totally wrong to do it because he's a you know a ambassador for the University of Notre Dame and it reflects poorly on the university. I think he probably could have handled it a lot better, but I don't. I also don't think he owes. Brian or uh, yeah, David Grimes, a, a public apology either. I mean, Brian Kelly is he's the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. You don't have to offer a public apology to an entry level employee. Yeah, they're not filming though in the meeting rooms of a CEO like no, they are a right. football game. I hope David Grimes offered a, pub, a quick apology to Brian Kelly because he his presence is superfluous on the sidelines. He should not be berating an official. He has nothing to do with the game. Yeah. Don't yeah, berate yeah. an official to the point that the official notices you. I know you're on the field and you want your guys to do well, and you're going to react. You're going to react to what you see as a bad call. But to keep going enough for the official to contact him back? I mean, and then, Pete, you said that you'd heard that the official thought he was, was a, a player, player, which is totally understandable. He could be an injured player because he's recently a player. But that means you're still getting the attention of the official for going overboard on your berating of an official for a call. You have nothing to do with it. The head coach yells at an official for many reasons. One of them is, especially in basketball, more so than football, it tends to even things out maybe along the way. The official doesn't care that that little guy is yelling at him, oh, I better get Notre Dame a call next time. Grimes should not have been saying a word, and I also fault people for not stopping David Grimes and making Brian Kelly go stop David Grimes. Now, I don't know if he should have shoved him or not. I didn't care. I didn't think it was a thing until I found out it was a thing from everybody else, and then it becomes a thing. I was like, well, I was yeah. confused. I was, yeah, I was like, all right. Tell him to stop talking. He grabbed him. Whatever. I'm sure. It... I fault David Grimes for this. I'm sorry. I, he should not be berating anybody. Well, the question is whether it's water under the bridge, and I, we're no not idea. in the group, yeah, no so we, we don't know, but I'm sure it is because... Well, coaches, we'll check, yeah. out, check out uh, Season with Notre Dame on Showtime. On I'm sure yeah, it'll be heavily that, featured. That, that will be interesting. <laughs> but, I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, in, in, for a football program, there are coaches yelling at coaches all the time, and there are coaches yelling at players all the time, and there are players getting mad at coaches yelling at them all the time. It's water under the bridge. Yeah. You move on from it. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to watch the reactions of people just in the still shot because Brian Van Gorder was like, whoop, I'm out of here. Uh, I have nothing I to do with this. Uh, nothing to see here. Yeah. Sheldon Day was like, whoa, what's going on here? And then you got Paul Longo, who is like really Brian Kelly's most trusted confidant, yeah. put his hand on Kelly and be like, we got this. And then and then you and you notice this on the replay. Awesome. Kelly turns so long and is just like, 
points at him in the chest and says, I got this. Yeah, no, I got this. Yeah, it was like, awesome moment. <laughs> I, I am the CEO. I am running this show. You get your a handle on David Grimes. So, and then Kelly sort of snapped back and was seemed pretty even keel the rest of the game. It is because he had something to do with the game and he had to go coach it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's I the problem. The, one of the most interesting parts about this to me is if Deshaun Kaiser's pass at the end of the game, if that safety takes a better angle and he and he bats it out. We would have been talking about Brian Kelly versus David Grimes. It's the first part of the show, as everyone would have mentioned that in the first paragraph of their game stories or their columns on Saturday and, and Sunday. Not this sort of down the, lo- down the road, oh, what do you think about this sort of an interesting sidelight. So it just, it, it just goes to show you how in college football we sort of just, did they win? It's okay. Yeah. Did they lose? Oh, you're terrible. I mean, that, that's just, that's the nature of the sports. I will say that I, I, I'm probably wrong going to talk to about this because I didn't notice anything wrong with Kelly's reaction, which might be too much on my part to not think anything's wrong. I noticed Grimes' reaction to Kelly grabbing him. Did you notice? Do you see yeah. Grimes' face? He was That was hot. a, that was hot. That was, I don't know, he, he did not take that well. And I'm not saying I would have taken it well either, but I remember, yeah. my first thought was, whoa, Grimes looks like he's about to uh, go back at him. Within the dynamics of a football program, it's meaningless. It, yeah, it, no, it, it, is. it really is yeah. because it happens all the time, and we, we're not privy to it. And like you, like you said, it will be very interesting to see what Showtime does with it. Nothing. Keeping in mind, <laughs> well, yeah, keeping in mind my my interview with Jack Swarbrick last week, and and saying that they do there is a an editing process where they actually do sit down with Showtime before it goes on the air. I would be willing to bet that that part of it, because it in the grand scheme of everything, it was such a small part of the game. Like you say, Pete. Because it ended up being a win, I don't think it'll be part yeah, of it. And I think, you know, big picture with what's it like to work for Brian Kelly? It's hard. He's really demanding. But you also have a lot of coaches that seem to come back to work for him and stay with him a long time. Um, you know, the sort of a, a GA position that we all follow last year, the Kyle McCarthy story, battling cancer. Noreen was very supportive of him. Then you, then who replaces him? Pat Eilers who thought of so much of the experience that he donated $3 million to to endow the defensive backs coaching position. So working for Brian Kelly, while difficult and challenging, seems to be very rewarding based on how people want to work for him that have worked for him in the yeah, past. I, I think it's a lot easier to work for Brian Kelly than it is a lot of coaches, Urban Meyer being yeah. one that we're, we that know we're that completely a <laughs> aware of. Yeah, no question. All right, next question is from Looper49. What did you think of Joe Schmidt's play at Temple? Tim? I mean, he's, he's not making as many plays as he used to make. But I, I it, we talked about in the elevator on the way down, Tim. He's not coming out of the game. People are so obsessed with getting him out of the game. He runs the show. If Niles Morgan could run the show and was more athletic and a better football player than Joe Schmidt, I absolutely promise everyone he would start over Joe Schmidt. Yeah, I think people look at it like, oh, well, they love Joe Schmidt, so they're just going to run him out there. I, it, it's more than that. They're yeah. not going to put their careers on the line because they think Joe Schmidt's a really great kid. It's. I mean, this is the time. This is Tommy Reese of defense. The, yeah, this that's is good. what this is what has happened. We we started with Tommy Reese about he's a gamer, football IQ. He's so smart. He's so coachable. He now just understands the, how it all fits together. Now we're giving the record of Joe yeah. Schmidt as a starter. And yeah. now and now we're, <laughs> now what are we doing to defend Joe Schmidt? The same thing Brian Kelly did when he defended Tommy Reese. I think from questions from all three of us at some point, he would just spit his record back at you and be like, "Well, this is why he's playing. It's because." When he's in the game, we win. 
What happens when Joe Schmidt's in the game? Notre Dame wins a bunch of games. And they're going to keep winning games through the end of the season. Is he going to play in the NFL? No. Is he a great college linebacker? No, but he just sort of, everything fits together. And the defense plays winning football when he's in the game. Two, the, the two, well, Joe Schmidt gets criticized every game now, but two games in particular where he has been heavily criticized have been Clemson and Temple. And in both instances, Clemson and Temple had under 300 yards total <laughs> offense. <laughs> Yeah, he, when he does something yeah. wrong, it's magnified because people want him out. Tommy Reese, the Tommy Reese Appreciation Society started when Tommy Reese was knocked out of the game against USC. Yeah. And Andrew Hendricks' best plays were spiking the ball when he was trying to throw yeah. it forward. The Joe Schmidt Appreciation Society should maybe recall November of last year. I know it doesn't have to be like that. And here comes the other question. Well, whose fault is that? I don't know whose fault that is. Maybe it's Van Gorders. Maybe it's Kelly's. Maybe it's Nels Morgan. Yeah, if but you, I know what happens when he's not in the game. If you want to say that Van Gorders' defense... Shouldn't be so complex that the other guys sure. should be able to, to get in the game. And it goes back to something, Pete, you've quoted before about Brian Kelly. You say, I think he said with Max Redfield originally that if we can't get him on the field, then that's on us. Yeah, there, There's something to that. Yeah. And, and once again, this isn't – I know a lot of people are like, you know, it's not personal against Joe Schmidt. They, they just want to see Niles Morgan. And I guess I understand more the people that are saying, well, what about Greer Martini? And I know that he's done it against option teams. What about Jared Grace? Or Jer- yeah, I mean Jared Grace. I, I I understand that, but do we see every minute of every practice? I, I I have a tendency. I think fans say, you know, why should why is this guy in there? And then they look at it from a negative perspective. I I'm looking at well, what happens when he's not in there? And I and I don't think people generally look at it that way. I do think people would love to see. What can happen in competitive situations? I think people want... The, the, the good question about this is why couldn't someone rotate in? You probably don't rotate your middle linebacker that makes calls. because They, it's a, not, they mean, just don't. I know. Uh, but Aside from the, the Fox calories from three or four yeah. years ago, they just don't rotate right, at that position, right. which I, I, I get. I mean, if they don't feel like they need to do it, they don't need to do it. All right, the last question from Will Lander. Was Desan Kaiser good or lucky on the game-winning touchdown to Will Fuller? To me, it looked like a poor angle by the safety, more so than a good pass by Kaiser. That's what Matt Rule said. And yeah, I mean, it, 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 look, yeah. it looked watch, like it to me, too. You watch that's the what Matt replay, it looks like the, the safety thinks it was going to be a, like a stop-fade type mm-hmm. of thing. not Because, I mean, the, the ball was kind of on a funky line. It was a really interesting pass. Uh, I don't think the Temple safety played it that well. You though. know, Kaiser said post-game, and I hadn't thought of this until you mentioned that point of view from the safety. Kaiser said, I was going to throw a hitch when I audibled, but the safety yeah. gave me the opportunity to put it in that window. So maybe, maybe the that's, safety played a hitch. Maybe the safety did play a hitch, yeah. A comeback type hitch. Yeah, yeah which yeah. I even credit Kaiser for, right. I guess, kind of baiting him. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure how to view that. Kaiser told me that that was how the safety had reacted basically the whole game. Oh, so that's why yeah. he had that's why oh, okay. he had a comfort zone to go ahead and, and, and release it. You also have Will Fuller. You're always comfortable throwing the football to Will Fuller. Sure. And he did get rid of it quickly and didn't give the safety a, a, a long amount of time to react to it. But I know I know from my vantage point in the press box, when he released it, I thought it was a pick. Yeah, yeah. He did throw it high. I mean, it was a high, and he got it. He thought he yeah. Kaiser said he thought he could have thrown it even a even little, a little bit higher just yeah. to, to be safe. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting dynamic, and... Because that safety takes a bad route. Notre Dame is still in the playoff chase. Everything is great. I mean, it, it's it just goes back to college football. It's it's not week to week, as you say. Sometimes it's just play to play. Right. And Notre Dame made the last play. So Notre Dame 7-1 still in the playoff hunt. We'll see where they rank on Tuesday.
We'll get into the, the rest of the week previewing Pitt. Our podcast will be back on Thursday to preview that game. Uh, and, of course, we'll all be in Pittsburgh for that rare noon start on Saturday. So until then, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson, you've been listening to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. Thank you.